0: Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to UUSF.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.
1: Mr.
2: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to worship. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us, and Asher and Mark. Behind the camera, we have Eric Shackelford and Jonathan Silk. I've got Sharon leading a worship with me. We've got Joe in the office attending to your questions online. Roberto let us in this morning, and otherwise, it is us us and our special guest this morning and worship leader, the Reverend Lindy Ramsden, who we're really, really lucky to have with us anytime and especially this Sunday. Some of you may know Lindy, she served our congregation in San Jose for 18 years, 17, before she started the UU Legislative Ministry of California, which is now called the UU Justice Network of California. And those are just big headings for tremendous work that happened during each of those chapters. And she's been the last nine years part of the faculty and staff at Star King School of the Ministry, our seminary here in the Bay Area for Unitarian Universalism. And last year she was the Service of the Living Tradition Preacher at our General Assembly, our big family gathering reunion as Unitarian Universalists. And she preached then about one of her passions, but also one of our biggest shared challenges, the preservation, the healing of our Earth, the window we have for it, the means we have. So she's with us here on this almost 50th anniversary of Earth Day, which will be Wednesday the 22nd, as we reflect together on our sacred relationship with the Earth. I want to just recommend to everyone, it's great to have you all here, and if you're joining for the first time and you haven't downloaded the order of service, you might want to do so, so you can follow along. I also just wanted to make sure that those who want to will also um, look through that order of service to find out more about what's going on in the congregation's life, and I wanted to say a big thank you for last week, I think in these times that are super disorienting for all of us, I think still, and maybe will be. I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but I recently poured coffee into my juice glass, the glass that already had juice in it. So I think we're all out of sorts with days that are clear and centered and joyful and days that are confusing or frustrating or waves of feeling that we just have to let be while we live into this chapter of our lives together. And in times like this, it's often um, a response to close inward and get fearful instead of staying open. And yet last week we took an offering for the Good Samaritan Family Resource Center that's serving 500 families, many of them immigrant families, out of work, sheltered in place in small quarters who don't have enough food or diapers. And we're just waiting for the last of the mail to be sorted that we were able to pick up just this week. And it looks like we've raised $2,000. So thank you all for being generative and open and compassionate and not succumbing to the instinct sometimes to close inward. It's a challenge for all of us to live in that space of flow in this time. And in that spirit, I thought we would open worship again this morning doing uh, our body prayer. So to also get the cricks of sleep and the night out of us, but do in our bodies what we're hoping to invite into our spiritual presence this morning in worship. So those who haven't done it before, we'll walk you through once in more detail and then we'll do it twice, a second time with less guidance and then the last time quietly together. So the way we do it is we begin with a centered stance or you can do it seated as well, whatever is comfortable for you and your body and your body's abilities. We'll begin in a kind of namaste pose at the heart center We'll raise our hands and arms upward to the expanse above us. Open our arms to the fullness of this day, and as you hold your arms outward, if you do it for a moment or two, you can feel the weight of the day's offerings and blessings, just how generous this day is to us. Turn your hands down and Imagine sweeping your fingers through the blessings laid at our feet. Gather what you can for this day and press them into you. And then open your arms to offer yourself to the world just as you are. And then recenter and begin again. Hands and arms up to the expanse of sky, stars. Open your arms to the blessings of this day just beginning. Turn your hands down and sweep them through, gathering just what you need and will take for this day and press it into you, that you hold it with you, before you open your arms, offering yourself to the world as you are, and back to center and once through, silently together. Welcome everyone, we begin our worship together, we light this candle as our symbolic presence of all of you who are out there, so that you're with us here, that we're here together in this space, until we're allowed to do that bodily again in days to come. Hold oh. light our chalice. The words are also printed in your order of service. I invite you to say them with me. We light our chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith
3: as we gather together. And now for some brief invitations. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Sharon Well, the ministerial intern here at First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. And as Vanessa said, for those of you who are visiting with us, please look for the links in the order of service or the notes on your YouTube page about how to get connected to all that's going on in this new version of our congregational life. There are links to sign up to get our weekly and monthly newsletters, which you'll find helpful. They're the best ways to stay up to date. And a new message for the entire congregation from Carrie Salazar, our board moderator. Next Sunday, UUSF will hold its first ever congregational meeting using Zoom. To help get ready, a Zoom open house is being offered today, that's today, at 1 o'clock, hosted by board member Reese Hart. If you've wondered how to use those Zoom features, like chatting during a meeting, or raising your hand, or muting yourself effectively, sign into Reese's open house this afternoon and find out. More information about today's open houses in your order of service as well and a few invitations. If you'd like to participate in the minister's book group on Wednesday, April 29th, 6.30 to 8 p.m. and or Thursday, April 30th, noon to 1.30, email Vanessa and she'll send you a Zoom link for video or a call-in number for phone participation. We're using the excuse that April is Poetry Month to have our member, the poet Robert Lavitt Smith, with us to share some of his work. So please do join in. And uh, though there was a technical glitch last week, the Spiritual Practices Group, led by John Burens and Margot Campbell-Gross, will gather on Monday. See the order of service for details on how to join in that too. Also, I want to thank all the lay members who have helped us reach out to one another during this time. There have been lots and lots of calls, so it's taking us a while, but then everything is taking us a while these days. Life is a bit like walking through molasses. So thank you so much to all the folks who have leapt into the breach to make so many phone calls when there's so much to juggle in your own life adjusting to this new normal we have. And finally, but definitely not least, if you haven't handed in your pledge yet, you may be getting another call just to check in about that. Please help your fellow lay leaders wrap up our effort to fund our life together next year by getting in your pledge. We're pretty close to the end of the drive and super grateful at how many folks have responded so quickly and so generously, especially given all that's going on. But we'll need everyone's pledge to step into the next year strong. So please send yours in or when you're called, let someone know what you hope to be able to give in support of our community life next year. And of course, it's totally lovely to see you all here again. When
4: I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love, when I breathe in.
3: now please join in our spoken covenant and sung doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
2: Recognizing that there is suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we will ring our gong this morning in honor of three such places of struggle. We ring our gong first in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let those seven rings stand symbolically for all those adults who have lost their lives in these camps, those who remain at great risk, especially now in such camps, many separated from their families, and also for those who wait in makeshift camps at the border, waiting for an asylum hearing. Today, we also ring our gong for losses to a virus we now know by name rehearsed daily in the updates we read and the symptoms we have set to memory. As of this morning, worldwide, there were 162,032 lives lost from COVID-19. So we'll ring our gong once in honor of those lives, too. And finally, we will ring our gong this morning once for our Earth. May we keep all that has been named in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
0: love, thou beyond all naming, we ask that you grant us peace and open our hearts to your presence. Be with us in our time of grief as well as times of joy, that we may grow in capacity for compassion and courage. Let us hold all the prayers of the people in our hearts as we enter into a time of silence. I invite you to take a breath and enter into that peace. source of being present before time and thought, help us to clear new places at the table of our lives where settings are crowded by our years of carefully constructed assumptions. Help us make room to answer your inconvenient calling, that we may answer that call together in community and guided by love. Amen.
1: The south blew a soft sweet wind
3: The first reading for this morning's service is from the book Overstory by Richard Powers. It tells the story of the birth of the planet Earth and the emergence of life using a time scale of a 24 hour day. I invite you to settle into your imagination. Say the planet is born at midnight and it runs for one day. First, there is nothing. Two hours are lost to lava and meteors. Life doesn't show up until 3 or 4 AM. Even then, it's just the barest self-copying bits and pieces. From dawn to late morning, a million, million years of branching Nothing more exists than lean and simple cells. Then there is everything. Something wild happens not long after noon. One kind of simple cell enslaves a couple of others. Nuclei get membranes, cells Cells evolve, organelles. What was once a solo campsite grows into a town. The day is two-thirds done when animals and plants part ways. And still, life is only single cells. Dusk falls before compound life takes hold. Every large living thing is a latecomer showing up after dark. 9 p.m. brings jellyfish and worms Later that hour comes the breakout, backbones, cartilage, and explosion of body forms. From one instant to the next, countless new stems and twigs in the spreading crown burst open and run. Plants make it up on land just before 10. Then insects, who instantly take to the air. Moments later, tetrapods crawl up from the tidal muck carrying around on their skin and in their guts whole worlds of earlier creatures. By 11, dinosaurs have shot their bolt, leaving the mammals and birds in charge for an hour. Somewhere in that last 60 minutes, high up in the phylogenetic canopy, life grows aware. Creatures start to speculate. Animals start teaching their children about the past and the future. Animals learn to hold rituals. Anatomically modern man shows up four seconds before midnight. The first cave paintings appear three seconds later. And in a thousandth of a click of the second hand, life solves the mystery of DNA and starts to map the tree of life itself. By midnight, most of the globe is converted to row crops for the care and feeding of one species. And that's when the tree of life becomes something else again. That's when the giant trunk starts to teeter.
4: Though below me I feel no motion Standing on these mountains and plains Far away from the rolling ocean, still my dry land heart can say. I've been sailing all my life now, never harbour or port have I known. The wide universe is the ocean I travelled, and the earth is my blue
2: you all so much, and we especially miss you when we sing hymns like Blue Boat Home. Our second reading is an excerpt from The Pandemic Is Portal by Arundhati Roy. In early April, Arundhati Roy, who's an internationally renowned Indian author, human rights, and environmental justice activist, she wrote this article reflecting on the impact of coronavirus on India and in the larger world. And so we read an excerpt. What is this thing that has happened to us? Whatever it is, the coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing to return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It's a portal, a gateway between One world and the next.
0: It's good to be with you this morning out in your various places, watching on Zoom from home and the couch, uh, office, wherever you may be. And I want to thank Vanessa for inviting me to come and be part of your worship service this morning on this Sunday, just before the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. April is chock full of commemorations. And given the current pandemic, I'm seeing some of them with some new eyes. Earlier in the month, we honored and remembered Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who was assassinated at a time when he was standing up for who we would see now as essential workers, people who were collecting garbage and needed a stronger labor agreement. And I understand that even in the midst of this pandemic, that here in San Francisco, yesterday, there were folks up at 512 in the morning to remember the 1906 earthquake and pay their respects to some other essential workers, to firefighters, who in 1906 used the only surviving fire hydrant to save the mission district from the great fire which decimated much of the rest of the city. Now in 1906, my grandfather, who was a native of San Francisco, was 20 years old. He was a student at the University of California in Berkeley. And as family lore has it, I don't actually know if this is true, but they say that he was such a sound sleeper that despite the fact that the earthquake shook the land all the way up to Oregon and down south of Los Angeles and all the way out to Nevada, he actually slept right through it. My other grandfather, who was a few years older, I know less about his sleeping habits, but I do know that he saw an opportunity amidst the destruction and decided to start a small business rebuilding chimneys. A crisis may come on suddenly, the jolt of an earthquake, the devastation of a fire, or the rapid onset of a pandemic, or it may be slower and less noticeable. What we see now in climate change, the rise of temperatures, the loss of species, increasing drought and desertification. But whether sudden or slow, there's no doubt that even with all our human ingenuity, we are a part of and humbled by the power and time scale of the creation that has allowed us to be present here on our blue boat home, the Earth. In 1970, we had seen already photos from space of the Earth rise from the lunar landing. Rachel Carson had alerted us to the threat of pollution in Silent Spring. And Earth Day teach-ins and movement building went on to build public pressure for historic legislation to protect our air and water. And President Nixon went on to establish the Environmental Protection Agency. I remember walking to and from high school on that first Earth Day in 1970. It was about a mile and a half, mostly on the main road through town. And I remember picking up trash along the way, feeling the sense of Earth's injury, and not exactly knowing how to help. One of my chores growing up was to bundle newspapers for recycling. They were stacked about a foot thick, and I'd take the twine and tie them up like a Christmas package with a string wrapped around both ways and tied off on a bowl and knot. I can still tie a bowline without looking. This allowed us to grab the stacks of newspapers, put them in the car, drive them to the back of the high school parking lot and heave them into the air to fall back into the assigned big blue dumpster as part of the regular paper drive. Habits get formed in such a manner. Recycling became normal at a young age. 50 years later, I know it's a lot more, I know that what it's about is a lot more than trash and recycling, although personal practices are important and do bring a spiritual consciousness to the work. Now I also understand that it's about systems and power that are layered on a foundation of racism, colonial settlerism, and profound economic inequality. Over the years since 1970, I and we have begun to understand health as connected to soil and air and water and community. To quote Wendell Berry, I believe that the community in the fullest sense, a place and all its creatures, is the smallest unit of health and to speak of the health of isolated individuals is a contradiction in terms. Something to consider as we find ourselves in this moment of pandemic. 50 years later, we also find ourselves in a watershed moment when human impact on the planet will shape the course of life on Earth for thousands of years to come. Young leaders, indigenous tribes, scientists are all joining voices from across the globe, demanding that we wake up, double down, and respond more quickly to the climate crisis. The climate activist and author Bill McKibben writes that, climate change is a timed test, and the 2020s will be our exam. This is neither a test of individual purity nor an exam we can pass alone. In this time of trauma and responsibility, what are we learning? And how can our faith and our community help us to answer such an existential call? It is a strange thing to find yourself living at a time when the lives of generations to come depend in large measure on what happens in this next decade and the decade to follow. If you are wanting your life to make a difference not only in the short term, but in geologic time, this inflection point in history is quite a moment to be called into life. And for the folks that I'm working with at Star King School for the Ministry, into religious leadership. But calling is a funny thing. Sometimes it feels like an invitation, sometimes an inconvenience, sometimes an imposition. And as Arundhati Roy says, we live in a time now that we can think of as a portal, leaving one era and entering another. When I was serving in our congregation in San Jose, in mid-October, I came home to get a, an answering machine call that said that the church was burning. We drove down immediately to see what was happening, to see what we could do. And sure enough, it was a massive, massive fire, a fire that burned so much of the church that it took us six years to do all of the fundraising and rebuilding to get back in. Sometimes a calling comes out of the blue and you feel unprepared to deal with the steps that need be taken to make your way through. At Star King, one of the classes I help to teach is called Ministry in Times of Disaster. And we teach our students about the life cycle of a disaster that starts with the moment of impact, has moments of heroic connection and community, almost, almost an exuberance and honeymoon in the way that people come together and do beautiful things for one another. We see that now in the time that we are currently in. But after a while, it starts to go downhill in disillusionment and frustration and desire to be made whole and an understanding that things are gonna take so much longer than you had ever thought possible. And that disillusionment can be even more difficult than the moment of impact. And then we shift to a long, slow rebuilding, a rebuilding with dips at anniversary times, at times when people have to deal at a deeper level with the grief of the loss, but a rebuilding nonetheless. The question is, in the rebuilding, what are we rebuilding to? And who are we rebuilding for? And what are the values that will guide us in that process? To think of a calling and a portal does bring to mind, of course, the classic calling of Moses, out minding his own flocks and his own business when God calls out of the burning bush and charges him to lead his people out of Egypt. Though respectful, he was quick to point out his own inadequacies, suggesting that the heavenly nominating committee call on someone else with leadership skills more suited to serve and succeed in that pivotal moment of portal. While God did not lift Moses off the hook, he did suggest that a leadership team be formed and the more eloquent Aaron take on the communications portfolio. We are not meant to do this work alone. I remember overhearing a caller to a radio show who asked the presenter what they could do as one individual to make a difference in the global climate crisis. I loved the respondents' blunt answer. The most important thing you can do is to stop being an individual. Systems change when you join and work with others. Systems change when you join and work from others. We learn so much from the lessons of Earth and the lessons of crisis. But crisis is in its own way a fulcrum for change." Naomi Klein, author and activist, has been quoting a lot from Milton Friedman lately, saying, only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. That, I believe, is our basic function, to develop alternatives to existing policies to keep them alive and available until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. Naomi goes on to say, in times of crisis, seemingly impossible ideas suddenly become possible. But whose ideas? Sensible, fair ones designed to keep as many people as safe, secure, and healthy as possible? Or predatory ideas, designed to further enrich the already unimaginably wealthy while leaving the most vulnerable further exposed. The world economy is seizing up in the face of cascading shocks. One of the things that was most heartening to me as I began to do more research on ministry in times of disaster was to stumble across the justice for, excuse me, and the Alliance for a Just Recovery. This was a a gathering and an organizing in Santa Rosa County, or Sonoma County, in Santa Rosa, the town, following the horrible fires of recent years. Instead of just waiting for things to be rebuilt back to quote-unquote normal, or even quote-unquote better, but still with the same frame of mind, Organizers were creating an undocu-fund. Organizers were bringing affordable housing. Organizers were working on health care. Organizers were working on environmental and green space issues, looking at how they could rebuild in a way that built up those who were at the margins and helped to solve economic inequality, while also rebuilding in such a way as to reduce the climate footprint and carbon footprint that normal has been too too quick to do. We are in a similar time where there are alliances moving toward a just recovery. The folks in Santa Rosa had been counseled and learned from people that had recovered from Hurricane Sandy and the Occupy Sandy movement. They in turn had been counseled and encouraged by those who learned lessons from Hurricane Katrina, who in turn had been counseled and assisted by those who learned lessons from the rebuilding after 9-11. Here we are now in a pandemic that is global, a pandemic that invites us to rebuild our economy in a way that helps us to address the crisis of climate that is coming down the pike and in many places is already here. We know already that when times demand it, massive amounts of funding can be made available. As we seek to rebuild together, we need to rebuild in such a fashion that we are rebuilding for the centuries to come, not what is past. When I look at the difference between where I was in 1970, trying to understand a personal commitment to recycling, to picking up litter, and where I am now at trying to help shift systems that will allow us to bring things to scale, I do believe that the concrete and the personal and the local is still hugely important. And I'm so honored to be part of a process that's being led by members of your congregation who are creating a strategy to allow our congregations to decarbonize their facilities. We understand that somewhere between 30 and 40% of greenhouse gases are coming out of buildings. The energy that we use in buildings, the natural gas, the lack of appropriate efficiencies in place. But for many folks in our congregations, while we might have high ideals, we stumble along the financing. And so this project with funding from the Hinckley Fund and from the UU Funding Program has been able to begin the process of consulting with experts in the field of clean energy finance to be able to see where our congregations are stumbling and how we might find ways to prioritize being able to live out the principles that we espouse. Life charts its own course and not always according to plan. Birth and death, opportunity and disaster, we begin in one storyline and then unexpectedly life gives us another. How, then, do we choose to live? What do we have to give? As we find ourselves in an unfamiliar story, let us not shrink from the task. Let us give ourselves to this moment, open to a new understanding, open to a calling to community, open to that which is greater than ourselves, and that which invites us to lead with love. May it be so, and amen. And now we
2: extinguish our chalice, our chalice which is a symbol for what we carry within us, the fire that warms us, love of community, the light that shows us the way, sometimes just inches ahead that burns with passionate conviction for the things we love to protect, keep, pass them along. So we take it with us, as we always do.
0: As we take the fire of the chalice into our hearts and, and forward, we'll be taking it forward in song, and we'll be asking you to join in singing with us, The Tide is Rising. Uh, it was written by Rabbi Shoshana uh, Maria Friedman and Yotam Schachter as a song for community coming together to tackle the climate crisis. And it invites us to think about where are we called to be? And I ask that of you as we sing. Where are you called to be in this time, in this moment, in this portal of our history?
4: rising and so are we the tide is rising and so are we the tide is rising
0: virtually connect (laughs) for our benediction. It is time, and this is where we are called to be, called to see and to speak, to repent and to repair, called to plan and to pray, to organize and disobey, generations joining generations, that none may be forsaken. In this great turning, let us lead in love and learning, that we may be blessed and be a blessing. Let us choose life, that the future yet may live. Amen. Amen. Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday morning worship service podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to UUSF.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, weekly flame, and much, much
3: more.